Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We're doing our Advent series on Isaiah chapter 11 as we look at the whole concept of the Jesse tree. By the way, this is our Jesse tree up here on the left. This is your first time seeing it. Um, thank you all to help them uh, help put that together. There are ornaments on it, so if you haven't seen all the ornaments, please come up after the service, especially little children, and point it out. See if you could recognize the gospel stories in there. It's designed to tell the story of redemption through Christ, the, this little shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. Last week, we looked at the Savior who brings hope to the world, and we talked about how um, the shoot that comes up from the stump does that. It's a symbol of hope. And we said that it was a symbol of hope in the sense that Christ is near, that when Whenever we look at our hopeless world, the things that are happening, we can see hope shooting out, as it were. There are all sorts of things that we can look at to see Christ and the hope that he brings that's near, that we can avail ourselves of. Right now, we're experiencing that hope in the form of worship. Again, we don't, we don't do worship out of mere tradition. We believe that it's through worship, being here, we get to see the hope that's right now, and of course, the hope that it's a little far off, the hope of redemption. We're going to look at that in week four. So that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look at the Savior that brings wisdom to the world. And so with that, let's look at Isaiah chapter 11. We're just going to read verse 1 through 5, and I'll make reference throughout the sermon for the rest of the passage. And then next week, we'll dive into um, more of the passage as a whole. So with that, let's go before the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of counsel and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And just for context, uh, I'll read verse 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you are the Savior that brings not only hope, but wisdom to the world. 
And Lord, we stand in desperate need of your wisdom. And so help us today as we look at how you give us wisdom. Help us to pursue it for your good and help us to share it with others as well. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, in the early 1990s, um, the world was introduced to a new technology. And this technology was said to someday radically change the world. And one of the things this technology was supposed to do is that this technology was supposed to break down barriers, the barriers of language, the barriers of distance. This technology was supposed to be so powerful that it could connect us together in an instant. More than that, this technology would give us unparalleled access to knowledge. It would open up the world's libraries to us from all over the world. It would give us access to endless amounts of information almost instantaneously. Of course, we know this technology now, and it's called the internet, right? The internet was supposed to make us smarter as a society, and to some degree it has. It has made us smarter as a society, but unfortunately, it has not made us wiser. In fact, it's done the absolute opposite. The first thing, in terms of ways the internet has made us more foolish instead of wiser as a society, is that we've become a people filled with pride about how much we know. We have access to all this information and we know more and so now we're filled with pride about all the things that we know and that pride has actually made us fools. Not only that, but the internet has now made us poor stewards, uh, poor stewards of what we do know, the access that we have the information. How many of us spend endless hours on our phone in a given week looking at information that's just absolutely pointless to us. Doesn't help us to live godly lives. We have our phones out and we looked at cute photos of bunnies or cats doing funny things or people falling down and hurting themselves. You know, we have our phones out and we, we look endlessly at things to buy that we can't afford. We've become pure, poor stewards of information, and really it's manipulating us and causing us to be fools. But not only that, as C.S. Lewis mentioned, it's caused us to despise the past and look down on the old ways. It's caused chronological snobbery, if you will. It's caused us to forget the wisdom of the past and only pursue knowledge for the future. So the internet has not been kind to society overall. In fact, um, Adolf Huxley in Brave New World predicted this. He said that a world will come where we'll have so much access to information that we'll become fools, that we'll spend all our time learning and understanding but never becoming wise, and that will make us all easily manipulated. That was many years ago, and we see the fruits of that even now. So what does this mean for us as God's people? Well, first and foremost, it shows us clearly 
that information doesn't equal wisdom. That learning on its face doesn't equal us being wise. And the Bible talks so much about wisdom and the need for wisdom. Now, as one theologian pointed out, knowledge isn't bad. It isn't. But knowledge alone doesn't make us wise because knowledge is just one component of wisdom. Wisdom has three components. The first, obviously, is knowledge. There's some stuff that we need to know. But it's not just stuff that we need to know. We need to know the right stuff, right? We need to have access to the right bits of information. We need not spend our time looking at all these reams of information as if we're all going to be contestants on Jeopardy. Alex Trebek, God rest his soul. Right? That's not why we pursue information, so we can be contestants on Jeopardy. We pursue information so that we can live holy lives. And so all the information we take in should be information that does that, information that helps us deal with our sin, information that helps us love and serve one another more. That's the purpose of knowledge. Not so that we can know a bunch of stuff, but so that we can know the things that most pertain to our souls. So knowledge is important. But that's all, not all wisdom is. Wisdom is more than that. Wisdom is also discernment. Having the insight necessary to know what to do with that knowledge. Or more importantly, having the insight that's necessary to see the significance of that knowledge. To see why things are significant. You know, the older I get, the more I realize the importance of knowing why it's important in terms of why we do the things that we do. Have you ever stopped and thought of all the things you do in a given day, how important they are, but you just take it for granted? I, just case in point, all of us take baths, right? Everybody shake their head. You're supposed to take a bath every day, kids. You know, when your parents tell you to go and take a bath, don't just go in, run the water, hop around, and then come out. It's important to take a bath. Now, why is that? Well, recently I saw an article that's, uh, that showcased a man who hadn't taken a bath in 60 years. Exactly. Right? He hadn't taken a bath for 60 years. He was absolutely filthy. I mean, he was discolored, and, and he looked awful, and I, I couldn't imagine the smell. Now, something as simple as taking a bath, we understand, has tremendous significance. It's needful. Right? But here, this man forgot that. He didn't see it as important. Now, that's an extreme example, but examples like that abound in our lives. Think about all the things you do on a daily basis where you don't understand the significance of it. How about this one? Reading your Bible every day. Seeing the significance of that and discerning how important that is to your soul. The Bible calls it the washing of the water of your soul. And people who go long time without reading the word are not experiencing that washing. So wisdom says knowledge, it's also discernment, but here it is, it's also the ability to do what you know is right. Having the courage to do what you know is right. It's not simply enough to know what to do or see it's important. You know that you need to do it because it's good for you. 
There are times in my life I, you know, I, I don't like exercise. If you know me, I don't really like exercising. I, you know, I, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is bodily exercise profited little. I claim that, right? But I know I need to do it. Why? Because it's a wise thing to do. It's good for my body. And one of the ways we know that we are wise is that when we actually do the things we know are right. It's no good you just knowing the right thing to do. You have to have the courage and the will to do it. That's biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom then is the accurate knowledge that is acted upon with great insight from God. And by the way, that's what we see Isaiah talking about in this passage. He is talking about the Lord, the stump of Jesse, this coming redeemer. And what is a defining characteristic of this coming redeemer? Notice in the text, verse number two, that he will have the spirit of wisdom. In fact, he'll be filled with wisdom. He'll pursue wisdom. In the text, it says he'll have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. Those two couplets define true wisdom. He'll have knowledge. He'll have discernment. He'll have the courage to put into, um, into place all the things he believes and are convicted about. That is the very definition of wisdom and who the Lord is. Now, why would Isaiah start there? Why would he be talking about uh, the coming Redeemer as having wisdom and not power or glory or might? Because remember the context of Isaiah 11. Isaiah holds, uh, Isaiah is trying to show the people that, look, the reason why we're in the mess we're in right now is because we've had a history of foolish kings making foolish decisions. The reason why the Lord will come and judge the people and chop down all the stumps is because there have been kings in place who are absolutely foolish that have caused us to be in this situation. We think of Rehoboam and now Ahaz and over and over again, Israel's history was littered with foolish kings doing foolish things and compromising people. Now we in our day could say a hearty amen to that, right? We're experiencing that a little bit, so we understand what Isaiah is saying. But Isaiah's whole point in this text is that the coming Redeemer will be different. He wouldn't be foolish. In fact, he will be known as wise. That's why when you go to the New Testament and you go to a book like John, how does John begin? John 1.1. In the beginning was what? The Word. The Logos. Now, what, think about that for a moment. Why is that significant? Because in John's day, it was believed that the Logos was the highest form of wisdom and knowledge. And that even in John's day, in the New Testament, people craved after wisdom. In every generation, we are people that are craving for wisdom so we could know how to live and, and what we should do. And John says, by the way, the wisdom personified has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. And now not only is he wisdom personified, but he's able to give that wisdom to you. We as God's people now have access to that wisdom. He doesn't just keep it to himself. He graciously gives it to all of us. And I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. 
If you've ever received the Monday report that Marsha sends out, I know some of us inside here that, um, do, well, the, the very first prayer request that is on there for me is wisdom. Because I need it. There are times when I'm paralyzed by knowing the right thing to do, and I need wisdom that comes from God. Beloved, I hope you are craving wisdom as well, that you desire it for your life. And if you are craving it, I have good news. The Logos has come, and he desires to give you wisdom. Now, for the remainder of our time, I want us to look at verse number two and some of the other passages, and I want us to see how Christ gives us wisdom. Now, keep in mind, the, the verse number two talks about how the Lord gives Christ wisdom, and in the same way the Lord, the Spirit of God, gives Christ wisdom, it's the same way we receive wisdom. Same way we receive wisdom. Now, the first is this. Wisdom comes by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number two, especially the first line. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, that, that term, the spirit of the Lord resting upon him, is a phrase that is used. And it's meant to communicate that someone will act in a supernatural way. They'll be acting in a supernatural way. But moreover, it is meant to emphasize that they're acting or will act in a way that's beyond human capacity. That they're exercising wisdom that's beyond a human capacity, that's not normal, that is beyond our current ability to do. Now, one of the most famous examples of this, of course, is Solomon. If you go to the book of 1 Kings and you read about Solomon, what's the most famous aspect of Solomon's wisdom? You, most of us know the story. Two women come to Solomon, and they're asking Solomon to... Uh, that one, you know, they, they claim that both of them have their, their child and one of them lost their child and a child that's living, both are claiming are their child. Now imagine being Solomon standing before these two women with this one child and both of them are claiming that this is their child. What would you do? You know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't say bring me a sword and I'll chop it in half and give each one a, a piece of the child. That's not what I would think about doing. But you know what? It wasn't in, in Solomon's ability to do that either. In that moment, as he's faced with this very difficult decision, the Bible tells us that Solomon received wisdom from the Lord. And Solomon calls for the sword, and right before he was going to chop this woman in half, which, by the way, I didn't think he was going to do, he wasn't bluffing, but he understood the nature of the situation. And immediately the woman who the child belonged to said, no, don't do it. Let her have the child. And in that moment, Solomon knew whose child it was. Listen, beloved, that couldn't come from human wisdom. That came from the Lord. And by the way, everyone knew it. The Bible says that everyone stood in awe of the king because they recognized that the wisdom of God was with him to do justice. They recognized that what was happening was beyond Solomon. That it came straight from the Lord. Now, as we read this this example, this wonderful example of wisdom of the spirit of the Lord resting on Solomon... Here's three applications that I want to give us from that. The first is this. We should pray for wisdom because we are often faced with decisions beyond our natural ability to discern. 
You all, listen, I, I know for a fact that this week coming, I will be faced with situations that are far beyond my ability to discern. And because of that, I need, you need to be praying for wisdom. How many people do you know pull their hair out thinking about things and worrying about things and not praying and asking God for the wisdom to solve our problems? Parents, we need to be praying for the wisdom to raise our children. Husbands and wives, we need to be praying for the wisdom to love each other. We need to be praying that our leaders exercise wisdom. Do we see Solomon doing this? When Solomon became king, he said, Lord, I, I can't take care of all these people. I'm not, that, I'm not that wise. And what does he do? He prayed for wisdom. He didn't pray for money. He didn't pray for the lives of his enemies. He didn't pray for power. He prayed for wisdom. Why? Because he valued wisdom more than anything else. And by the way, that's what Proverbs tells us, that we should pursue wisdom more than silver and gold. We should be praying for wisdom. Second thing is this. In every situation, pray for the wise course of action to manifest itself. Listen, there is a vast world of difference between us being right and the right thing happening. And in every situation we're involved in, we ought to be praying that the right thing happens more than we're praying for us to be right I want to see the right thing happen, and you should desire that as well. But notice the third thing we learn from this Solomon situation about the Spirit of the Lord coming down upon us. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom to the simple. Do you all realize that Solomon wasn't born wise? I know we talk about Solomon being the wisest man other than Christ that ever lived, but has it ever dawned on you that at one point Solomon was simple? He was a fool. And yet he prayed and God gave him profound wisdom. And we as God's people should be praying for that wisdom as well. So often we lack the wisdom to know what is the right thing to do. But the Holy Spirit promised to give wisdom to the simple. And if that's you today, you should be praying for God to give you that wisdom. There are many of us in this room that have degrees from the doctorate all the way down. And there are times in my life, I know this is true of me, where I want to rely on my training. I want to rely on my experience. I want to rely on my book knowledge. But so often I realize with all training, with all my book knowledge, with all whatever, even with all the internet, you know, where I can Google anything I want, there's so much that happens in my life and your life that we cannot Google. We cannot Google how to reconcile with a loved one we're estranged with. You cannot Google how to repent before your children. We can't just Google what we should do as a church about reaching the loss outside of here. The internet is not going to solve that. What's going to solve that is the wisdom of God, and that's why we as a people should be fervently praying and asking God for it. But notice the second thing. 
How do we get wisdom? The first way is we get it from the Spirit of God and praying to God and asking him for wisdom. But the second way we get wisdom is love of the Lord. Love of the Lord that yields wisdom. Notice at the end of verse number two, it says this, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Right? That's, that's how this coming king, that's how he receives wisdom, by the fear of the Lord. And that's how we receive wisdom. Now, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Well, you know, you pick up a dictionary or a commentary and you'll see all sorts of definitions of the spirit of the Lord. It means literally to have a fear of God, some people believe. Some people believe that it means that we're in so in awe of God that we look to serve him. But in this passage, and I believe in Proverbs more than anything else, that it describes, the best way for us to understand it is that it describes a seeking after the heart of the Lord. That we love the Lord so much that we seek after his heart. And as we seek after the heart of God to know him, to experience him, to read about him, to pray to him, that in those moments we become wise. We receive wisdom through our love of the Lord. One recently read one amazing example of this. Uh, how many of you get World Magazine? Some of you get World Magazine. In World Magazine's recent edition, um, they announced their Daniel of the Year 2020. And Daniel of the Year simply is, you know, Daniel from the Bible, the, the person that evidences um, faith and wisdom in society. And their Daniel of the Year was a civil rights leader by the name of John Perkins. And if you've not read it, I highly recommend that you read it. And uh, John Perkins is an extraordinary man. Um, he lost his mother when he was just, I think, seven months old. And his father left him in the care of his aunts. And his father basically abandoned him uh, when he was young. And, and as you read the article, he talks about how he guarded his heart against the frustration and pain of losing his parents. Not only that, his brother died unjustly at the hands of uh, police officers he was beaten near to death by police officers who were filled with hate against him and others in the black civil rights movement. And yet Perkins resolved in his heart not to hate. Not only that, um, even though Perkins never made it past the third grade, never made it past the third grade, God gave Perkins the wisdom to start a church a Christian family center, Christian community development association, and run his own foundation. To date, Perkins has 16 honorary doctorates from colleges such as Bellhaven, Covenant College, Geneva, and Wheaton. And after MLK, many uh, see Perkins as the most influential American, African-American leader. Now, you read a story like that and you wonder, how is it that this man, after all the pain and heartache that he's experienced in his life, how could he accomplish all of this? Well, Perkins tell us, tells us right in the middle of the article, he said it's all because he accepted Jesus Christ on 1950s. In 1957, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and personal Savior and committed his life to fearing him, loving him, and serving him. Because Perkins committed his life to the Lord, because he pursued after Christ, 
Perkins said the Lord gave him the wisdom to do all of those things. And beloved, that is true of us. Now, John Perkins is an example of how the wisdom of God continues to confound the world. I mean, just think about, think about that for a moment. Even as we look at the gospel, look how the wisdom of God continues to confound the world. Why would God send his son in the manner in which he did as a little baby mourn in a manger? Why not send your son like Thor or Iron Man or some big superhero that can conquer the world right now? No, he sent him in the form of a baby. Why would God entrust the propagation of the gospel message to a bunch of uneducated fishermen? Why would God tell his people to rest one day? When our world tells us the more we work, the more productive we are, God says, look, take a day and come and worship me and rest in me. Why would God instruct us to use simple elements such as water, bread, and wine as powerful symbols of his grace toward his people. Think about that for a moment. Paul tells us plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's the purpose of the wisdom of God, so that we will not boast in ourselves, but we might go before the Lord and seek his wisdom, that we might boast in in him and him alone. And that's what we see here in verse 6 through 9. One of the things that strikes me about the new heavens and the new earth is that it defies wisdom, that the predator will be with prey, that a little child will, will lead them all, and that all the world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. But beloved, we have that here today. Today you are hearing the wisdom of God come to you to seek him in wisdom, to look at the Lord and pray for his Holy Spirit to be upon you, to give you the wisdom that you need to live here today and to go out into the world and proclaim his name. That is the wisdom of God. And in the next few moments, we will partake of the wisdom of God and the elements that through simple, simple elements, we receive his grace and his wisdom. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that the power of your word constrains our hearts and provides the wisdom that we need to live rightly. Father, we thank you so much and we praise you in your glorious grace. Be with us now, your people, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please.